Waitman over his head. Cody Waitman's kicked a miracle goal. Looking for Vandermeer. He can go all the way. Straight man to hit the front. For 10 goals, they call him Bruce. Bruce. Can score? Towards goal. Barry Smith. Has he got the dots in on the final? Bontempelli to seal the game. He's got it. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that, with the knowledge of recent events that have taken place, would have preferred for Jake Melksham to have played in last year's grand final. My name is Matthew Donald. I'm sure you know my voice by now, the host of the Salty Bulldog, and I've got with me the the guy that I like to dub the accountant of the Salty Bulldog, the man with all the numbers, Nick Galea. Nick, welcome to the the program. Uh, Good. What is it? Evening, or whatever we want to say. Good evening, Matthew Donald. Yes, uh, what are we now? This is a Tuesday night, a little bit later than we probably would have liked to for this week. But, you know, life gets in the way, I think. Uh, you know, work calls and it's what it is. And unfortunately, I think it's probably given you and I maybe a couple more days down to, you know, to calm down after the events of Friday. Uh, I'm still close to losing my mind, I think. But, you know, I'm tempered it down a fair bit and uh, my or our colleague and friend of ours, uh, uh, Brad Sultana, will atone to that as well, I reckon, after uh, my antics on the Friday nights were very, very entertaining, I must admit. I think he'll attest to it, not atone. Oh, attest to it. it. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we'll do both, actually, while there is at it. <laughs> is it a test? Very good. Thank you. Grammatical. We've got, to, we've got a bit more time this week. We're not trying to cram this into to Nick's lunch break, so uh, you don't have to worry about scoffing a sandwich down in between my rants, uh, Nick. Let's just get a no, couple a, of things. A good solid prosciutto sandwich, to be <laughs> fair. Everyone bit more, likes that. A bit more time to just process everything this week. So I'll do a look podcast, of course. You can access wherever you get your good podcasts and probably wherever you can get your not-so-good ones as well. Uh, we recommend going via Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. And there's also the Footy Live app via Sportsmate. You download that app via the App Store or Google Play, and then you can check us out in the podcast tabs. And there's our social media channels as well, which always seem to gain a fair bit of traction, and the fan Q&A has absolutely exploded this week on Twitter. So we'll get through as much of that as we can. That's at the Salty Bulldog on Twitter. And this is also our Facebook and Instagram uh, channels as well. The Salty Bulldog and the dot salty dot bulldog and our website, www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home. So that's all out of the way. Got to get that out of the way. Nick, the, uh, I know the Bombers have, have uh, conducted a, an internal review. I'm not sure what they're going to get out of that. And I suppose given the events of the last few days, we're probably going to we can conduct one ourselves. Another one. We seem, to do, we seem to do a lot of these this year. So the Bulldogs are now at their halfway point of the season, I suppose. Not, not technically. They're at, their, they're at their halfway point of the season and I'm almost at my wit's end, I think. That's probably <laughs> okay. what is more appropriate. <laughs> so we're heading into the into the bye. So we can't lose this week, although some will probably get injured at training. Uh, we're six and six. We're currently outside the top eight. I'd say things haven't exactly gone according to plan this year. And I think last Friday night was pretty much summed up the way things have gone this season. So let's get, let's get that out of the way. Let's, let's get, let's recount the raw numbers and then really get stuck into things. 10, 10, 70, the Western Bulldogs, uh, Geelong 12, 11, 83. Incidentally, uh, 12, 11, 83 was the score they kicked against us the last time we played them as well. Liberatory and Waitman, the only multiple goal kickers with two apiece. Bontempelli, Karmas, McNeil, Dale, Norton, who I suspect may be referred to a couple more times in this particular episode. And English, all getting on the score sheet. 
Bailey Dale and Jack McRae both found 31 disposals. Daniel and Liberatore both found 30 disposals. Trelaw, 27. Bonds of Pelly, 23. Williams, 21. English, 20. Libber, I thought was the Bulldogs' best man on the ground. I think the coaches' votes reflected that as well. Led the way for the Bulldogs with six coaches' votes. I think um, he might have got a little bit under. Is there who actually got ahead of him? On uh, that, so Cameron was the only one who got more. Cameron got the 10 votes. Oh, is that it? Really? Yeah. Jeez, they gave it a little bit even uh, then on so, the rest of it. But well, we'll go through hmm. the we'll go through the whole lot then. So Cameron got 10, Libba 6, Tom Atkins 4, Bailey Smith got 3, wasn't the only thing he got on, fr- on Friday night. Uh, Duncan with 3 as well. Jack McRae with 2, DeConing and Guthrie each got one apiece. So that's the breakdown of the coaches' votes. That's very specific there because we've got Atkins plays down back, DeConing and then Guthrie, of course, down back. So three defenders for the Cats. And of course, they ended up picking up those votes courtesy of us kicking the ball directly to them. Yeah. So uh, fantastic stuff right there. I'm going to put it out there, Nick. I'm going to ask a really blunt question because I know a few people have actually asked this in the in the, the fan Q&A. Are we playing finals this year? Before the game on Friday night, or even on last week's episode, I mentioned to you that the Cats happen to have the Eagles and the Roos, I think, again, don't they? Or at least they've got them in the the back half of the year. So that is not only two wins, but that is also at least the better part of 20% on top of what they've already got. We now find ourselves, what, now two games behind them, give or take? Yeah, so we're two games and about 9% behind them. And then add an extra, you know, 15 on top of that because with those two games in, in hand there, they might as well be worth it. So we're effectively three or four matches behind those guys. That's at least the top six spots seem to be, well, obviously not locked up, but in terms of how the season's gone to, uh, you know, to, thus far, that it seems, you know, top six berth is a very, very big challenge. Seventh seems attainable. Uh, and that only leaves eighth spot as the only, you know, realistic option at the moment. Do I think we're playing finals at this point in time? Unfortunately not, because there's been very little this season that's actually been able to convince me saying that we're worthy of it. Normally in, in recent years, even like, for instance, say 2019, where it took us a long time to get our, you know, get, get our bags packed together or whatever you want to call it. But the point was we were actually playing reasonable football for majority of that season, even though despite, you know, certain results not falling in our favour. There weren't many bad performances. No, there weren't there many. Were de- I was, there I was were defeats, con- I was but content. they were... Yeah, exactly. So there were some frustrating defeats, but there weren't poor performances. Well, not this many year, of them, at least. Not many of them, exactly. And even when they... Even when they were, it's a complete contrast to what 2017 was, where even when we won 11 games, I was absolutely livid with pretty much every single one of them. And this year, I haven't been too satisfied with, with many of the performances and in each of the losses have each been far more frustrating than where I could actually say, yep, yeah, look, it's okay. It's more than the, that they've tried, but it's, it's the opportunities that you present yourself and you say, we've got ourselves back in this match. And I've told, I've told it to you before, it, it's one thing to get yourself back into a game, which is what we were able to do on the Friday night. But the very fact that you're able to get yourself back into a game says, okay, You've done that. Now you're good enough to go on with it and win it. And that was not the case on Friday night. And that hasn't been the case this year in a number of particular matches. 
Carlton, of course, we were able to peg ourselves back in the round one game against Melbourne, you know, trimming off a two or three goal deficit, brought it back to four points, 10 minutes to go, you know, fell flat once again. The Richmond game was up for grabs. The Crows game, we hit the lead once more and then threw it away. So that's already at least four or five and even the Port match to an extent where we were, we had an opportunity. So that's anywhere between four and six games this year that none of us really should be content with regardless of what the result was. It's, you know, putting aside the loss, but regardless win or loss that it could have been, I would have been still just as, you know, displeased with it. Take the result if it was a win, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, think about the match itself in that way. Four points or, or no points doesn't make me think, oh, you Peter, everything's all, you know, sunshine and roses and, and whatnot in that regard. Um, where do you, what do you put our finals chances down to percentage wise? How are you thinking on the, you know, on the zero to hundred? So just, just firstly, just to, to clarify one thing that you see about Geelong, they play West Coast twice and North once. On oh, the is that what they got? So yeah. they got West Coast twice. Yes. Um, they've, oh, got, uh, they've, they've got uh, North once. So let me see if I can uh, get up here. So they've got, so they've got the bye this week and then it's West Coast. They're playing West Perth. Coast back to back. No, God, no in, in, <laughs> Richmond at the G, uh, North down at Geelong. Melbourne down at Geelong, Carlton at the G, Port in Adelaide, us again at uh, Geelong, St Kilda at Geelong, <laughs> the Suns up on the Gold Coast, and then West Coast at Geelong. Fantastic. Could not ask for a more cushy ride at home, could they? Our run, in terms of your your question about who are we going to put or how are our chances of, of finals, we've obviously got the bye this week. We've got then the Giants up at uh, Giant Stadium, Hawthorne here, Brisbane at the Gabba, Sydney at the SCG, St Kilda and Melbourne, both at Marvel, Geelong and Geelong, Fremantle at home, Giants at home, North in Tassie. North in Tassie. Sorry, Melbourne, Hawthorne, Hawthorne in Tassie. Sorry, Hawthorne, 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 Hawthorne in Tassie. Jeez, so, oh, I thought you were getting, getting quite well reacquainted with Tasmania there. Be, be um, so we I'm play the Giants. Really, so played- relieved you mentioned Frio at home. Yeah, I'm so very relieved about that. We play the Giants and Hawthorne twice. Um, to round out the year, I'd say they're the only four games that I'd be confident that we could win. Yeah, and that's we, a key, key, key phrase, could win. That doesn't could mean, win. like yeah. I've seen others yeah, I can't. I don't even have the confidence to pencil those in anymore. So no, that's, that's even if we get, even if we get right. all of those wins, that's that takes us to 10 wins for the year. And that's not Which making finals. near enough, obviously. It's not even close. So no. we've really, we've really got a win of our last, what, what, of our last 10 games... We have to win at least six. Coming into this year, coming into this year, where did you think in terms of wins tally? What was your minimum and what was your hopeful maximum? What did you think? Uh, See, okay, so I don't, I don't go into a season thinking about wins. I I tend to think position on the ladder. So you can Hmm. probably correlate a set number of wins to the position. Absolute bare minimum, bare minimum. If if uh, if people want to keep their job heading into 2023, the dogs have to make finals. Have to make finals. That's that's an absolute minimum. Uh, I would have been hopeful of a top four finish. So yep, let's say, let's let's say all right. So let's say an absolute minimum then is 12 wins because that mm, that gets that you would into not finals. Have been, that not would have satisfied that. Sorry, that no. would not have satisfied us. But you know, that, that's just, that's the lowest of the lows. Yeah, if you're asking for like a, a minimum acceptable, because we've proven that you can do damage if, once you get into finals. 
But you can't do damage in finals <laughs> if you're finishing 10th or 11th. So the absolute bare minimum would have been making finals, which is 12 wins. Hopeful, though, of finishing in the top four. So work that out, what, 14, 15 wins? Maybe, yeah, about, about 15 wins. That would have that would have been my hope. Well, uh, At this point of the season, I'm talking now the pre-season side of things, yep. six and six, I think you and I might have been expecting, regardless of what was going on, uh, seven, five at worst, maybe more realistically, eight and four. Eight and four probably would have been, been my I would, have, I, I would not have, I would have, yeah, I would have wanted that as my minimum too. That doesn't mean I would have accepted seven and five, but that's the lowest of the lows. Because eight and four, a rate out of eight and four gets you to at least seventh now. Mm. So, okay. And then yeah, and there's still a little bit to work with because then it means that you've got a game at least, maybe two games on the sides sitting beneath you. So you have a little bit of leeway and you've got enough room to work with to push up. But I, 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 I'm willing to call it now that I know, I know things were confident. I know we were confident heading into this match against Geelong and that we built up some, built up some credits in the bank over, over the past three weeks in terms of beating sides, beating them well, playing well, injury list getting smaller. It feels like things are starting to get back wins, together. Some genuine yep. wins. I'm not talking about, forget the West Coast game. The Suns have proven to, be, to have been a, a good scalp. And the Pies have proven to be a, a good win as well in that in that manner. All of that evaporated within 30 minutes of pure chaos in the first quarter. And you can, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people will say, oh, but, you know, we, we played well in the last three quarters and we outscored it, them over, yeah, over three quarters. And it, doesn't well, matter. It doesn't. They, it doesn't. Yeah, they kicked seven to one when they dominated. And supposedly people say, well, we controlled the game for three quarters. And then ultimately, all we did in that time frame was win the match nine goals to five. That's the still lose. Yeah. That's not exactly dominating, is it? Now no. people can this, pump that up all they want. We had is, forty. Sorry, we had forty entries across quarters two and three. We kicked five goals. You're scoring a goal once every eight entries. That's twelve and a half percent. The AFL average is twenty four. Yeah, that's putrid. That's not not anywhere near good enough. Not anywhere near good enough. This game, and I wasn't old enough to, to remember watching this game live, but anyone who's a, who's a Bulldog supporter who's at least, even if you're not a Bulldog supporter, anyone who follows the game of football has seen the Terry Wallace, I'll spew up speech. And this game had, and, I, and, I know, and people have seen the speech and they may not necessarily know the context of that particular game. But I'm going please to please do educate those, please. Yes. So this was in 1996. This one and the Bulldogs were really struggling for for most of the year. I'm going to get the exact around because I want to do that. We lost by six points to Collingwood at, at the MCG. Um, was the the final score? Oh, I've properly lost it here now. Uh, round 17. I would round round 17. Okay. There we go. Yep. Got so round se- round 17. Eight goals to one at quarter time, Collingwood kicked. And what did Geelong kick? They kicked seven goals to one. So very similar in terms of what happened in the first quarter. And over the next three quarters, Footscray, as they were known then, brought it back. Six goals to four in the second term. Three goals to three in the third term. Six goals to two in the last quarter. But Collingwood hold on by six points. Now, you might think, oh, they started badly, but gee, they, they did a really good job Trying to trying to get themselves back into the game and nearly got home as well. What a great effort it was to get back. Wallace was having absolutely none of that. 
And that's that's where the I'll spiot bit comes from. He said, if I see anyone get a pat on the back for a good effort, I'll spew up. And his point to that is the fact that they played so well over the last three quarters, but they they it counted for naught because of the way that they started. Yeah, you don't get look, there are four points on offer in the game. That doesn't if, mean you get a point per quarter. No. You know? If, if it's they, not like it's not like the NF, uh, what the NHL where they give you a point for losing in overtime, which actually for the hockey side of things I think is actually a great idea. That, I hope that idea never comes into the AFL though. They were atrocious in that first quarter against Collingwood, and even if they played a little bit better, they wouldn't have needed to overhaul such a massive deficit. They wouldn't have needed to dig in the way that they did for three quarters. The same way that we wouldn't have needed to dig in for three quarters on Friday night. You, can, you can't win a game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. And I'm sure you've heard that, that saying before. And, yep, same thing on a test match. Yep. You can't win, you can't win it on day one, mm. but you can lose it. And, and we lost mm. that game at quarter time. We, that if, was we had, if we had started... We did, we did lose it then. But if I we think had started better. That last five minutes in that first term, which actually blew it apart. Because it was four goals to zip, which is still pretty poor. But that was still five minutes to go in that quarter. We copped another three goals in red time. And yeah. you love talking about red time there. And I can even mention to you here as well, Matt, some red time numbers. I just got to find them. Uh, let's have a look. Scores from turnovers. Here we go. Oh, you're gonna, you're definitely going to love this. Uh, three goals, two to six, two in red time. So three goals that the Cats kicked at the back end of the first. And when do they get their last three goals? At the end of the match yeah. to win the Blinken game. So... You you say you say red time. I I don't look necessarily at red time because red time could be there could still be ten minutes to go in the quarter. So that doesn't that doesn't stand that doesn't that doesn't really stand for for me. Like you know because we could be talking like we're just over halfway through a quarter. So I tend to look at the last three minutes of quarters, and we did concede That's red. Yeah, yeah, and we did concede one in the last three minutes in in the first quarter. I get what you're saying, though, that we considered four goals beyond the 20-minute mark in the first quarter, then two beyond the 20-minute mark in the last quarter. So that that that's red time, but that's I'm not I'm not red time no. conscious. No, I'm but those ones are a bit minutes. more. Those ones, especially though, at the back end of the fourth, of course, they're more. Yeah. They're red time, but they're more crunch time too. Yeah. So they're worth a lot more in that sense, and it's just absolutely disheartening when those types of goals are kicked. You know, it's a massive kick in the teeth, isn't it? Yeah. And this is and this is what makes comebacks so difficult because you everything so much has got to go right. You've got to get on top. You've got to make the most of your opportunities, and then when the opposition get their turn, they've got to not make the most of their opportunities. They've got to miss those goals that they kick. And that's why you've got to take it. You've got to seize the moment. We had several moments on Friday night to do so especially towards the back end of the game and towards the back end of that third quarter too. And it obviously it ultimately amounts to nothing, doesn't it? Because yeah. I said, we're not going to give ourselves pats on the back. Look, look, yep. They did give it a shot. Okay. Unfortunately. Well, I know, I know people, yeah, we I know can people respect, who we can have. respect that, but it, we, we can respect it, but it still ultimately doesn't cut the mustard. But is, if is having a team that was at the bottom four, if we were actually, supposedly we were rebuilding side you could let them slide in these matters for a team that's supposedly meant to be competing for a flag it it really doesn't cut it 
whatever, because that's against the top four threat. We're supposedly a top four threat. It's another classic eight point game. If you don't mind me saying we're pissed yep. down the drain this year again. Yeah. These are the games a, where you have to push up onto the ladder. It's having a go though. And I've asked this question before, but it's having a go something that we should acknowledge and go and, and make a big deal out of. Oh, they started badly, but they put in a great effort to get back in the match. Shouldn't a great mm. effort just be expected from, oh, from no, whether no, you're first I'll, or 18th? I'll respect the efforts to be able to, to get yourself back into a match. But as I've they, said, they only got back into the match you, because they started so poorly. Like yes, if they didn't start correct. so poorly, they don't need to get themselves no, back into the yes, match. Exactly. Exactly right. You can talk about those things, but saying, yeah, why put yourself in a situation that forces you, yeah. you know, to kickstart to that start type better. Of fashion. Just so on so again, some numbers on yeah, maybe so, maybe sorry, the some bribe. of these numbers from the accountant here can Yes, help help decipher where things went wrong. Oh god, the, how, how many things went wrong that night? Like, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, what was the catalyst for the ruck. first quarter? Okay, the first quarter. This is absolutely putrid. So let's just sum it up here. Okay, our collective, and we love talking about the pressure ratings here on the salty board. Or at least I enjoyed bringing it up, but. So we've got a match rating of 163, which is deemed poor on the poorest end of scales, okay? So that is nothing to be proud of. That's a collective four-quarter, okay? Yeah. Geelong, again, nothing to nothing for them to scream much about. So 179, all right? That's still average. That's on the cusp of, of the very bottom of the poor end and compared to the very high end of the below average. Mm. Now, if I'm filthy about our average for 163 for the poor rating, yeah. uh, let's see what I can tell you here, which was supposedly our 11th lowest you know, score on record from 2012 onwards when these stats were recorded. It's our second lowest since the 2016 Premiership and our lowest in five years. Good to see that that, was, that happened on our probably biggest match of the season. Uh, now, if you think in the rating of 163 is shocking, you should see how it was in the fourth quarter when the match was on the line. 157. Geelong boosted theirs up, though, all the way up to 193, which is well above average. It gets even worse if we want to talk about the first quarter. Our rating was actually worse than the fourth term at 149. So if the quarter was on the lowest end of the lows, well, it's even lower than that, okay? We're approaching carpet snake territory here. And... The cats weren't exactly crash hot in that department either, so it wasn't even we weren't even out pressured there. You know, 170 still is not amazing, but it says once more they either weren't switched on or we continuously shot ourselves in the foot in different ways. I can't believe some of the turnovers where the ball had missed our, its intended target by a good five or six meters. Yeah, I'm still trying to work out. They get different play. Uh, when was it in the third? It might have been actually. It probably actually was the fourth quarter, actually. And I thought this is where, effectively, where the game ended for us. It's not that I'm against what uh, Trelaw did there. I, I thought he should have taken the ball out at that particular boundary line. Um, unfortunately, kept yeah, it in. Yeah, that was costly, wasn't it? That was very costly. It's not because of the goal. I think it was a poor decision anyways, because I would have been happier to take a stoppage or if that would have been allowed. Who knows? We probably would have been pinged holding the ball anyhow. But at least it would have been an hour half of the ground and we could try to set up. You know, and yeah. ultimately the goal gets kicked and then you know, there goes your game. Seven points becomes 13, you know, four or five minutes to go and it's already hard enough as it is. But I don't know how on earth 
the players were not able to G themselves up for this particular encounter. The third quarter, again, people mentioned saying we got back on a roll with a bit of pressure. Again, that wasn't particularly the case. It was more Geelong's dropped off drastically back to, again, 159 rating. And they had, what, four of the... They had the four highest, of course, on each particular quarter. Smacked us in the first there, beat us in the second, even though we were able to get a bit on, on top of it. But that probably means, well, that probably factors in as to why we weren't able to maybe capitalise as much as we would have liked to in the second term. Third quarter, how many goals did we kick in the third? We kick two goals in the third term, was it? Maybe three? I can only we think of two, two that come to mind. We kicked two. We get 40 inside 50s in the second and third quarters. We only kicked five goals. Five goals, yep. The one that now, really costly, I, the, I, the one yeah. I thought that was really costly was uh, McCombs miss late in the third term, 35 metres out directly in front, brings the game back yep. to within a kick. Yep, that was 44 to 56. It's, it's plenty of time makes, in that third term, but it's, yeah, those goals that you should be kicking. It's what makes I, goals in the last three minutes of quarters, Nick, so mm, important. Indeed it does. So important. That said, though, I also want to focus a tad on what is it with us not being able to generate enough actual scores at goal? All right. That is an excellent I, segue. That, that is for me. I People, will, and I will always mention too about the goal kicking factor, but forget where the shots are taken, okay, because that also factors in why our accuracy is so poor as it is. But why is it that we need to sometimes generate close to 60 entries just to get a third of those converted into actual scoring opportunities. Why are we falling short roughly each week, anywhere between five and 10 scoring shots or, or chances at goal that we should be at least being able to nail another two or three, four so more this, on top of that? this has been a constant theme under beverage, not even just recently. Exactly, yeah. like, this has been, even, like even in our premiership mm, year, this was something yeah. where we had to mm. just overwhelm op uh, opposition by weight of numbers. Mm. Yes, I not wonder quality, quantity, which is which is dreadful. You're is not it, getting bang for your buck at the best of times. And then we're even making it even more difficult to do so. Is it possible that it could be a case, uh, not, not, not last night, oh, sorry, not last week specifically, but in general, could it be that we're having too many entries and that you've got opposition defenders back, you've got our forwards in the, in the forward line all clogging up space and making it more difficult to fashion opportunities? Because you'll notice when, when, I, when other teams go up the other end on the counter against us, they generally score quite easily. Yes, and, and they have a lot after the Suns. And they have a lot more they? space. Now, I'm not sure yes. whether that's a correlation or not, but there's no denying that both of those statements are true. Opposition can counter and score against us a lot easier, and there is more space. Now, whether they go hand in hand see. is another matter, but those, both those statements are both true. Mm. Let me see here. So... Let's have a look. And dare I say his name? Uh, good God. Dare I say his name? I think it was Kane Corns mentioning it on uh, on Sunday. Might have been that. Sunday footy show. He was talking about uh, <clears throat> scores from kick-ins. Okay, kick-ins, obviously, they're not um, something that people, or at least footballers, tend to you know, generate scoring opportunities very heavily from. They said majority of the time, it's always, let's just break it down. It comes from... Stoppages, which can be categorized into center bounces, throw-ins, and ball-ups. And then it, of course, comes via turnovers, and then it comes via kick-ins. Okay. Now, what we can mention here is in a collective match, you might cop two goals of kick-ins. Okay. Yep. Give or take. That's pretty stock standard. Okay. Maybe a bit less, but give or take, it's around that mark. 
Apparently, according to Ken Corns, and people love his name here, uh, we got two of those actually in the first quarter alone. Do goals or do scores from kick-ins? Kick-ins. Usually, it's just getting scores. Getting scores from a kick-in is hard enough, but you're ultimately going to get a couple goals. Two goals from kick-ins. They got two goals. Usually, you normally get that, you know, after four quarters. It's hard enough to do that. And they got two in the first, you know, 10 minutes. Is this... This is this is clearly a breakdown system. Do you reckon that that's a is that a personnel? Is that an on-field thing or is that an in-the-box thing? Better more so. I think it's more on-field than in the box, but tactical. But obviously, tactics come from in the box. But I think it's still more from players being pressed up in that sense too high. Because every time I look at so that, that would that would then if that if that's an instruction, then that would be an in the box. If it's an instruction, that would depend. But some things that were displayed on the Friday night did not look like you know instructions. Having four players clogging up, you know, a ten meter, you know, circumference that to me is not exactly a tactic when you've got three or four spare cats out and about. I don't know what on earth was going on there with a little bit of lack of directional leadership in that sense. These can sound like a bit of like throwaway lines, perhaps, but. I don't know. I just wonder why is it that when we happen to try to slingshot forward, why is our forward line completely vacant? And every mm-hmm. and even if it isn't vacant, why is it always the smallest option possible that we're trying to deliver the ball to? Because it's I complete. To- I reckon it's because it's almost completely uh, devoid of forwards. It could be, but why is that the case? And why why do I see a lot of other sides happen to leave at least a number or two? or three, at least in the in the front third of the ground that allows for that bailout option kick down the line or, you know, to at least for them to try to create a stoppage and not chase tail. Why is it impossible for us to actually leave a couple of our forwards, dare I say it, in the forward line? Well, maybe I've got a solution, Nick, with this one. Are you going to put concrete slabs to their feet or? Not quite. It'll make it very difficult to kick for goal. But maybe I, I, I fancy their chances actually with that. Maybe this solution that I've got here can solve two problems. So this is one that's done the rounds over the weekend, and I believe this is the first thing that you and I disagree on. So let me let me pitch this to you. Let oh, me let Jesus. me yeah, let, let me pitch let me pitch some some numbers here to you, and I'll obviously give you an, an opportunity to uh, to state your case. So the Western Bulldogs continue to have Issues with conceding goals to key forwards. That was game number 12 this year. We've conceded 56 goals to key forwards in 12 matches. That's an average of 4.67 goals a game. If you want to break down, I'll give it to you here. Ben Brown with three. Kerner with four. Mackay five in round two. Franklin with two in round three. In round four, Lynch kicked four. Rewalt kicked two. In round five, Larky kicked four. In round six, Walker kicked three. In round seven, Wright kicked four. In round eight, Finlayson kicked three, Marshall kicked two. Our best performance of the year in round nine, Mychek kicked one. In round 10, Jeffrey kicked five, Chol kicked one. Jeffrey, how tall is Jeffrey? Jeffrey 192, he, 192. He, he played as a, he's a tall, but he played as an entirely small footballer that day. Uh, Darling, in, from a mark, but yeah. Darling oh, in round 11 kicked four, Kennedy kicked one. And as second best or worst, depending on how you look at it, Hall of the year, Cameron kicked six. Hawkins kicked two. They combined for eight goals at the weekend. So over four and a half goals per game we're conceding on average this year to key forwards. Now, I put it to you, Nick, that if we continue to play the way that we are in terms of a defensive setup, this will continue to happen. I've got no doubt that Harry Himmelberg 
maybe not Jack Gunson because he's not playing, but Mitch Lewis uh, and then Cameron and Hawkins again when we play them and whichever opposition we've got in front of us, we'll continue to keep goals. So here's my solution. Here's Mitch my... Lewis is having a fantastic season. He is. but here's you know, my... He's kicked only less than three goals twice this year. Here's my, here's my solution to the key defensive problem. Aaron Norton in defense. That's my, that's my solution. Now, here's, here's some information that I've, or I suppose information, but here's my reasoning behind it. Firstly, it starts with the fact that you know, the Keith slash Gardner slash O'Brien combination is, is not working. Like, whoever they play down back in whatever combination, whatever structure, whatever setup, throughout the course of the year, it just has not worked. We've conceded far too many goals to, to Keith forwards, and it's ultimately costing us games. You can't concede over four and a half goals per week to key defenders and expect to be contending for premierships. And the fact that we're six and six now suggests that the setup we've got does not work. It's not going to win us a flag. So we've got to change something. And this is a radical one, but what we've got in terms of Norton is a youngster that was drafted as a center half back, not a forward, who in his debut season played 18 games out of the 22 and finished fourth in the Charles Sutton medal. If, I'm not sure if you've got, I'm not sure if you'll know off the top of your head, Nick, I believe that's his best placing in a Charles Sutton medal as that well. That probably would be. I remember I remember telling you this too at the time um, that he took the second most or third most amount of contested marks as a key defender, only behind at the time, um, Majak Dor and Jeremy McGovern. Yeah, that's yeah I remember. Defenders. Yeah, I, remember I, that. I kept banging on that stat yeah. at that time. So we know that he can dominate as a centre-half back. And he is a lot better player now than he was back then. We also need an intercept up. The O'Brien experiment to this point has not worked, which is unfortunate because he did have potential. I swear I've seen a team named with him at centre-half forward. How? I don't know how that's even an option. At Hawthorne? No, not at Hawthorne. In, in terms of people trying to assemble a best 22. Oh, oh I see. Now okay. the team at this point in time. And he's never kicked more than, let me see, 19 goals in a season. <clears throat> and oh, let me see. He's kicked four goals in a game once, but uh, that'll that'll probably do it. Yeah, let's and let, let's let's be clear on, on what I'm, I'm saying here, because I know a lot of people don't like what I have to say here. Aaron Norton is a, is a centre-half back playing in, in the forward line. Now, does that mean that he is a, he's not a good forward? The answer is obviously no. Any, I'm not that, and that's not my contention. I'm not going to sit here and say that Aaron Norton is not a good forward. Clearly, he is. He can play forward. There's no, no argument about that. But I think he'd be better as a centre-half back right now. Now, we don't have any sort of recent numbers to suggest that because he hasn't really played in the, in the back line. But I've told you what he did this first year, and he played one practice match in 2019 at centre-half back across against the, against the Suns and absolutely smashed it to pieces. And that was I, just, gave you, I gave you some numbers on that. Yeah, Do you have was, those on you at this point? I, 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 think it was, uh, I think it was 17 disposals and maybe eight intercept marks or something, something like have that. have a look. I'll see if I can find it, actually. More, not, more than, not more than that. Uh, you were very impressed when I found those numbers. I'll try yep. see if I can get them out for you right now, but you keep talking, okay? So 
I think a lot of people, and I understand it, a lot of people are, I think, are a little bit fearful of, of the unknown because Norton Up Forward is a known quantity. You know what you're going to get from it. You're going to get someone who can fly for marks, bring the ball to the ground, get grand ball gets, and pretty agile, and every so often will get, a, get, a, get the odd bag here and there. We don't quite know if he plays at center back next week against the Giants, quite what we're going to get. We don't have that sort of recent form to go off to, to know and paint a picture of what we might get. But I think well, I think those those particular fans are going to be pleasantly surprised by what we see. And people have been so against what I've had to say with Norton going in the back line. And they're throwing me all these numbers. They're saying, oh, I kicked 47 goals last year. He's sixth in the Coleman this year. He's got all these ground ball gets. He lays all these tackles inside 50, takes all these marks. Not one of them, not one of those numbers, not one of those facts, as, as true as they may all be, none of them disprove my initial contention in that Norton is a natural centre-half back. I, don't, I won't dispute that, okay? I, I won't dispute that at all in that regard there too. Do I because think he's, he's, he's a, he points, is a good forward. Oh, he is a, a good he's forward. A, he's a that's, very good that's, forward. I'm not trying to dispute. He's not a good, he, had, he had shocker on Friday night. But I'm not trying to sit here and say he's not a good forward. Was I ultimately disappointed with his performance on Friday night? Yes. Yes, I was, because he's been able to tear the catch to shreds before. Um, okay, let's just give a let's just give a rundown of his season so far up front. Yeah. All right. Please do. He's had okay, round one, there's a bag of four. Round five, immediately against North, but it's a bag of five against Port. And what was a very good performance by him, actually. Yeah. Another bag of four. He backed it up with back-to-back threes against the Pies and the Suns with another four-goal haul against the Waffle team. So from that sense, let's have a look. That's 30 goals in 12 games, taking 55 marks. Last year, he would have had, what, 15, 30, 36, 39. He was, okay, I'm not even going to bother counting up to 12 because he would have been about 80 marks. So he's probably about 30 off from last year. Uh, admittedly, again, meant to have a bit more support, but that's not the case this year. He's still taking 24 contested. He still has 28 marks of those inside 50 at this point. Now, okay, so he's a full game. Sorry, he's a full mark short in marks inside 50. He is averaging about 0.7 or 0.8 more goals this year than last year, but his marks tally in general is down by full, you know, one and a half. Now, what can we work on this, these types of numbers here? All right. At this point in time, Norton, yes, we will say this, is sixth in the Coleman. He is also second in the competition for the most behinds. You'll love that, or equal second, dare I say. Uh, let's have a look. Contested marks is one, two, three, four, five. He, again, is sixth in the comp there. And in terms of marks inside 50, he is sitting 10th at this point. What else can we keep going on about this? All right, also factoring in for Norton Ford. That doesn't mean I don't see your you know, points of view to definitely throw him back because if we had particular forward options or <clears throat> ready-made forward options in that sense, aka Bruce or you know other players like Shaki and you know, Jamara standing up, that would be nice too. Um, but that's unfortunately not the options at this point in time. <clears throat> We've got Aaron Norton. He's fourth for us in terms of score involvements. We have to go all the way down to player number 14 on our list, who's actually contributed more score involvements as an actual forward. And he's effectively almost double that. 
So taking him out of that forward line, not only does it completely nullify us in terms of goals, it nullifies us in terms of being able to create that link play of actually being able to generate even such scoring opportunities. I get now, that. We, mm-hmm. I, I get that. And I, and I, I completely understand the fact that taking Norton out of the forward line is going to cause a hole. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't think we had alternatives that we could turn to. But the fact is we do. And you've mentioned three of them. Josh Bruce, Jamar Eaglehagen, and Josh Shackey. On our books at the moment, we have three top two draft picks, all very capable of potentially being dominant key position forwards going down the track. Now, Aaron Norton can play in the in the back line and has to play in the back line because something needs to be done about the key forward situation. Something. Even if they just want to trial it, I feel like you've got to do something. You can't persist with the method that we've got and expect to win premierships. So that that's it that's almost, one of the reasons. Not saying not saying because it almost paid off in that sense last year, but it's just interesting because where are we going? Uh, let's see if I can find him again. Where are you, Aaron Norton? Let's have a look. Seventy-seven goals in thirty-seven games the last two years. Yeah. Obviously, twenty twenty was relatively injury ruined, but uh, let's just do that for the numbers' sake of it. That takes him to a hundred and twenty-four goals in. 72 games. Okay. Just shy of, was that about 1.8 goals a let's game? Have a look, was it? What did I say? 124 divided by 72 is 1.72. Okay. All right. Now let's also factor in here. That's 173 marks inside 50. That's not a massive right. average, though. No. Like 1.7 goals a term- goal a game. No, but there's not many, there's not many forwards that, you know, kick around those numbers anymore. Under the you know genuine freaks, it's pretty good numbers for a player that's you only need, has, what three preseasons to, to get an average of two. You need forty-four goals a season. That's not a huge number. No, no. But in this day and age, it seems a lot more harder to achieve than it used to be. Anyhow, um, what else can we probably mention about him? We can probably factor in. Let's have a look. If I click on him, I've just got to find him once more. Uh, this year, okay. In terms of his actual forward stats, where does he? feature in the competition. He is rated above average for marks inside 50. He's rated above average for contested marks. Concerningly, this is one thing I can probably mention about him as a forward, and I'm, I'm sure you'll you know probably agree with this one here. We know that he's a fantastic contested mark, Matt, yep. and everyone else out there. I would love to actually see him be able to generate some actual scoring opportunities from marks on the lead, which doesn't involve him needing to always rely on his prowess in the air. Then- he's related... I think it's just literally average in terms of marks. Yeah. And he's also rated average in terms of just marks. We also yeah. factor in his average in pressure acts, but it's pretty good for a forward because these are rated on a defense yeah. statistic. Um, to be handy in the back line. It would be handy in the back line because oh, I wonder, I hope I'm not wanting him to be pressuring players in the back line. No, I'll tell you that. Uh, and he's rated well, above at the, average at the moment, for there's, goal and score involvement. At the moment, there's generally not a lot of pressure on, in, in the back line in terms of the there's, there's if they're able of, to kick, a lot of pressure They're anyway able to kick four and a half goals every week, Nick. Four and a half, you, you say getting 40 goals in a year is hard. We're letting him kick four goals, four and a half goals a week. They'd be able to do that in half a season on that track. Mm. So they're on track to winning the Coleman. Yeah. Oh, boy, more. They're on track to kick 100. And you know, you know some, you brought up the ton. You know some forwards who are decent on the lead? Go for it. Eugle Hagen, Bruce, and Shaki. Now you'll you'll tell me, and people will tell people we will tell me, and people two guys. and people have told me regularly that 
it would be an absolute disaster if we took Norton out of the forward line and put two, mm. if we took it. So, so what they're saying is that if we take a center half back out of the forward line, put him in defense and then take two young tall forwards and put them in the forward line, that would somehow be a disaster. It would be a disaster in terms of this year where we're actually trying to win a flag. But, but we're not going to win no, a no, flag I this agree. year. I, I, at this point in time, it doesn't look likely. And it looks, and I mean, it is, it is very, very hard to see how the heck that's even going to happen because it seems like this year looks likely to be shot. It would be a very different story if we were in the top four, let's say, and you know, we're right in the mix for premiership. And things were looking a bit bleak and we go, all right, well, Bruce is coming back in a couple of weeks. If he can hold on until then, you know, maybe we, we persist. Right. But we're not that winning said, a flag though, this year. No, but that said, we should never, I don't know why the heck people even bring that up. Though The idea of saying, not that I don't want to see him back, of course, but people mentioning, wait till Bruce comes back. Why were we then waiting till round 15 for our season to come alive? We're not just there to hold, you know, the fort for that to happen. Why? Yeah. Why didn't we try and plug that gap in October, November last year Mm. when there was a trade period and and a draft Mm. period? See, unfortunately, what they've done is they've gone and and targeted someone like O'Brien as intercepting defender, and they've on the premise that Norton will remain in the forward line. So, in and so I don't think they will. That was that's more for necessity because Bruce wasn't. But I think but Norton's a better interceptor than O'Brien is. Much O'Brien's better. On a, O'Brien's on a bad intercept. I haven't really seen. I've seen it in one quarter in the Adelaide match. Aside from that, I haven't really seen the the intercepting uh, that that I would have hoped. Maybe not expected, because Let's it was a, a reasonably small sample size that that we were going off his intercepting game of being last year. But he's not quite hit the heights that I'd hoped. He's hand-passing the ball to Joel Jeffrey in the goal square, for crying out loud, Nick. Uh, that like, was a... Rule one of being a defender. Thing. Don't give the ball to the opposition in the goal square. <laughs> let's have a look. Intercepting, we're saying. Uh, let's see what yeah. I can find in here. Oh, God, my inbox because, is going absolutely nuts. And, and he's rated above average for spoils, O'Brien. O'Brien, okay. He's, All right. okay. Let's have a look. That's immediately 6.3. I'm trying to see if I can find something... Uh, for marks, rated above average there. He's rated above average for contested marks. And you're going to like this one too. He's rated above average for marks on the lead for a defender with 0.1 per game. Uh, but two and a half intercepts per match. Yes, there you go. That's for defenders. Okay, you're not going to see a defender generally mark on the lead, are you now? But yeah, he's above average in terms of intercept marks. Two and a half a game. Let's see if I can find where he fits. They chappy died the- and they never lay down. I think they do at times. It is a very odd stat, right, that one, but I love to bring it up. Uh, let's see what I can find. Uh, intercept marks, intercept marks. Do they even have that? They might not. They're meant to. They don't have it. Uh, intercept AFL marks. Lap, okay. Is... 2.5 a game this season for O'Brien, mm. which is a, is above average. Mm. In terms of intercept possessions, our best player this year, again, I say possessions, not marks, because the AFL app doesn't show that. It is Ed Richards in 16th place. Ed Richards has been a better interceptor a than, than um, O'Brien this year. Yeah, let's have a look. O'Brien fits where? I'm scrolling all the way down to player 50, and I still haven't seen our second bloke. Our second bloke is Bailey Dale 50, at 57 at 4.8. We've got Caleb Daniel at 67th with 4.6. And we've got Duray 79 with 5.2. And then it's Williams... And then it's Gardner at 92. Where is our, oh, it's because O'Brien's missed four matches. That's why. What if I was okay. to give it uh, for our particular team, I wonder? 
See what's so so my, my, my point is, is that we're in we're in need of an elite interceptor, and we have been for a while. We've got we do have an elite interceptor, you're just playing in the wrong blinking spot. Exactly. Which happens about... to I'm talking about Alex Keith. Oh, okay. I was talking about, about Norton. So maybe it has synergy needs a little bit of middle needs a little bit of working. It's weird getting. because Keith was Keith is still a very good number one defender, but I don't know what's happened with him. Yeah, he's, had a, he's, he's gone off the ball this year, which hasn't helped to be fair. That hasn't helped that he's gone mm. off the boil a little bit. I still mm. think our best interceptor is Norton. If you get him down there, it changes the defense. It gives the opposition something to think about, something else to think about in terms of their forward setup, because they've got this elite aerialist who's suddenly going to be there flying for, for everything and, and winning the ball back, which is mm. what we need. It could potentially, as I say, help prevent the key forwards from actually getting on top because there's a, there's a great aerialist in the way. And it opens up the space. And this is really important, this part. It, it gives you an opportunity to allow your young key forwards to play regularly in the forward line together and build a partnership. Okay. All the best young key forwards in the game, and I don't, I'm, I'm, you probably don't have the numbers, but Nick, but if, if you go and look them up, this will back me up 100%. All the best young key forwards in the game were given extended periods of opportunity at AFL level. And they did not, early on, early on not, in their careers. Not one of them would bear fruit straight away. None of them were kicking four goals a week or five goals a week. None of them were, were charging but, towards the leaderboard in the, if in the they were taking, If they were taking four shots a week, we'd be very excited about that. It's the small things that we would see from key forwards that would excite fans and, you know, bring hope. And you, you know, and I still... You, if you pers- I still remember the, the thing that Boyd showed us in 15 and 16 early on. I got a lot of hope, even if it was basic stuff. We all got excited by that, didn't we? Yes, because you're, you're seeing what the player can do. And if you continue to give the player opportunities, the, those glimpses will, will expand in terms of their duration. They'll become patches. They'll become quarters. They'll become yes. games. They'll become weeks. So the, the four, still, names, the four names that come to mind for me, for players mm. who were blooded, and whether they were getting five goals or five touches a week, they would keep their spot and they were given an opportunity to develop. Max King, Ben King. Actually, I could give you five. I'll give you five. Harry Mackay, Charlie Kerno, and Mitch Lewis of Hawthorne. All of those I'll, guys, I'll challenge aside you on from, the, I'll aside challenge from you on Lewis. The Mackay one, I'll challenge you on the Mackay one a little bit because it did. they themselves didn't really play him in years three and four. It only took him till not saying that he can't play. It took him until last year that he kicked more than 26 goals in a season. But they gave him opportunities. That's true. They gave him a lot of opportunities. They invested into him and they yep. are now reaping the rewards for that. All of I'm those aside from Mitch Lewis is going as yeah. well. All of I'm those ecstatic. aside from, from Lewis were really top draft picks quite high up. I think what Ben might've been picked. Mackay would be the pick four. Uh, let's have a look. Kerno was 12. Yeah. And Kerno was and Mackay was 10. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're all talking here. All first-round draft picks, except for, mm. for Lewis. Now, there were times when they were really struggling. There were their questions about their goal-kicking, about being able to impact mat- matches, all being questioned. Look, but, but, I and this think is, there was as much about that, to be fair, because, or then again, it depends on people's talent IDs or whatever it is. But I still find it hard that people, they were invested. They into, were all the, given. That's the main thing. Yeah. That's the main trump card now, there. Imagine, imagine three years down the track, Eugle Hagen and Shaki both playing, let's say, roughly 20 games a year. They get 60 games under their belts together, along with Josh Bruce, who by that stage will probably be at the end of his career. You've got 
Shaki and Yugal Hagen, who have spent three years learning not only to play at AFL level, but learning to play in the forward line together and build that chemistry. Then you and can start both, to... They could pair. They could properly yep. pair too. Because one is meant to be a stay-at-home full forward. And as I say, this is a hit-up target. Yep. And Shaki, yes, is a flanker too, but you know he can work into that weird... He's not a... He's a third tall without being a third tall, but he's not going to have to be a second. If there was ever such a thing as a two and a half, it's him. And then, and then by that stage, that sort of sixty-game mark, then you can start to blood Sam Darcy as the third tall. So there's still a third bloke down there, and he can he doesn't need to cop the heat because I he's got that. two guys that the have third been tall around who is for the tallest one of the trio. I love that. The, the yeah, I know, I know, I know, the but third tall, the third tall forward. And let's and let's and let's meters tall. Let me reiterate here. These are three, or at least in the case of Yugo and Shaki, two top two draft picks. These are the two key forwards you should be building your future around, not just your forward mm. line. And instead, we, we've got Yugo we Hagen. We had that put two, didn't we, beforehand? Yep. We had that with Shaki. We could we have had that with Shaki Boyd. and Boyd. Yep. And, and we've got another opportunity. Piss it away. We don't get and any of these of, chances. And instead of instead of taking these precocious young talents and allowing them to, to garner AFL experience and help build a forward line and a future around them, you're instead blunting one in the VFL. And, and in the case of Shaki, and this I find absolutely ridiculous, he's being used as some sort of make-weight VFL player just to plug in the gaps when and where they're now. Are you kidding? Am I missing something? Am I missing something with that? Because to me, it's pointless. It's either, it's either one or two things. We either have Shaki's pap- papers stamped officially or at his age, if we're willing to see other players who have got much lower ceilings than he, that doesn't mean Shaki always reaches that ceiling, but I'd much rather back his talents and scope because I always focus on scope. Yeah. You know, I we, love that word scope and you love yeah. another particular word that I've forgotten about too. And all, of, uh, and all of all of this... It's based off the fact that I, I'm willing to put a line through the fact we're winning a premiership this year. So what does it matter that you're giving an opportunity to, to inexperience? We're not winning the premiership. So why, why do we need to worry about challenging for it and, and playing and, and selecting a team for it? I don't even think we're going to make finals this what? year. I, I mean, what, what would be the harm in giving Shaki and Yugal Hagen the last 10 games of the year together? Like what, what's the worst thing that could happen? No, there's nothing negative that can come out of it other than other than well, Shaki's career give, literally give, going down. But I know there's you give the two young players an opportunity for something to be fixed. Yeah, in the long term, you could potentially fix an issue with key forward key forwards down back. The only way that this happens, I, yeah, as I said, I'm not saying Norson doesn't go back. I'm not saying and, Norson stays. And fought, assuming all goes well with a player is there. I just want to see if Bruce can if Bruce can recover relatively yeah. well, then perhaps I can second this notion for 2023. It's just a shame we're talking about 2023 at the midway point of yeah. this year. And and that's the and that's the other thing. Assuming that Bruce gets back reasonably quickly, he's, he's, he's actually said he, uh, the 17th of June, which would be the VFL, um, that he wants to be back playing VFL by then. Is that a Saturday? What is that day? That's a Friday night, that one. Oh, right. Um, are we playing, so, who are we playing? Uh, we're playing Carlton, I think, down at, uh, at Footscray that, for that match. I, um, and we'll probably be playing the Giants the, the day after. That is a Friday night. That is at yep. Icon Park. So. Oh, Icon Park. Sorry, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll see what I can do. That's so, nice. Bruce... 
will be there to help Jamara and Shaki for the last few games. It won't just be those two on their own. There'll be someone experienced and talented to be there to help them. So they won't be copying the number one and two best forwards. It'll be the two and three, but they have to learn to do that eventually. Jamara can't play as the third forward his whole life, nor can Shaki. And we, we spoke Jamara's, about... Jamara's we, good enough to, to be the number one down yeah, the track. He is definitely good enough. Not, not, you don't want him to do that now. No, that's why, but that's play, what Bruce will do. Last year? Where did he do last year? As the third. As the third. Understandably. Yeah. You can make up for it. You can do that stuff. Now, and Shaki, for what it's worth, would be an excellent uh, Ford Rock. You just have to say that second word, didn't you? Well, Ruck. he's the best. Well, would I, name yeah, him. Would name, I rather, name would I rather him and the Ruck ahead of the other boys? Who's no, the, it, it, who's the best? I'd rather say Shaki. Yeah, yeah, who's the best forward ruck at the club? Not ruck forward. Who's the best forward ruck at the club? Oh, forward ruck? Well, no, to me, it's still English because I still don't see English as a proper ruckman. Okay. I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, someone, a, someone who's going to play forward for 85% of the game and ruck for 15%. Yeah, I'd like that. I could handle that. Ideally, it be, would be English, but uh, that's not to be. That's, that's, my, that's my piece. Um, let's uh, in terms let's of go Norton playing, else. let's go to something else. All right, let's yeah, let's talk about. Let's go. <laughs> you've had enough, haven't you? Let's oh, talk it's about. Just, it's just a it's it's a it's a great debate to be honest. So it through, is because we're going to have a we're going to have a lot more questions. We've got next week to uh, wrap up our comprehensive demolishing or demolition job of the buy, and uh, yep. then we can talk about a couple of other things. Uh, Bailey Smith's two game suspension for uh, headbutting Zach Tui. Fair, harsh. Surprise. Unfortunately, what's, what's, fair. what's the word? Unfortunately, fair, fair but it's uh, sort of like to have seen Tui cop something more than a monetary punishment, seeing as he did flop and he's the one that instigated. I'm never, to me, if you instigate, you deserve to cop it technically. Yeah, I, 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 I agree I'm with sick that. Of, I'm sick of that protection that players get when they realize, oh, I can get away with, you know, blue murder because the rules will protect me. Punishing the reactor rather than the yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's the yeah, schoolyard like, thing, like the, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the schoolyard thing. You know, the the absolute pain, kid and prep or great four, whatever it is, they take the piss out of someone. Someone fights back and they cop it with a, you know, punishment sitting on the bench at lunch. Yeah, sitting in the corner. Yeah. I, I I agree entirely. I think Smith's suspension. I think it, we, me, we it's, it's it's football. It's it's a yeah. Pretty I think we might have got away with it. In terms of we probably did. getting the two games, I think we got away with with a week or two there. But I, I agree that you know that something should have happened the other way as well. Quickly in the VFL uh, before we get some some fan questions here. Uh, I don't know how much you saw of it, Nick. Uh, I saw most of the game. Uh, Footscray eight eleven fifty nine Geelong seven twelve fifty four. So rare win. Oh, no, I was done. No, I saw nothing. I was working till six ish. All right. Well, I'll run through the numbers here for you. Uh, Josh Shackey kicked five goals. I'll tell you what, where they were I can tell you where they might have come in handy. <laughs> At Marvel Stadium about three hours later. Uh, where has he got? Score involvements, eight. Three rebounds, five clearances. He two he, hitouts, two advantage of his nine, and two contested marks, even an intercept mark as well amongst it. He kicked that some, is interesting. He kicked some absolute beauties. He kicked one goal from 60 meters out in the second term. I did say that. We brought his name up last week, did we not? Yes, we did. We said he should in have come in. In a structural sense, yeah. I, we mentioned him. I said, bring in the Shaq. Yeah, not because yeah. he's not an amazing player. I'm, as much as I'm big about scope and you're big about that, what is it, the bounce or whatever it is? What was that term that you used uh, for Richards and 
for, for English this the year? The spike. The spike, thank the you. Spike. I am the, the three biggest words on the salty bulldog by my definition is the spike, the scope, and yeah, two way horse. <laughs> yeah, spike, <laughs> scope, and structure. The triple yeah. S. We're gonna we're structure gonna... for the love of Christ. There's a, there's a fan question that's going to relate to the, the structure of the moment. So Shaggy kicked five of the eight. He also kicked one in the last quarter. I don't know whether you saw this one. From 50 metres out on the boundary line. It With leaving through. the bloke out. And he, he also, yeah. here we go, dare I say this, <laughs> dare I say this, he created some great chemistry with Aaron Norton in recent seasons as a forward. The both of them as a forward, okay? It can work. Yeah, Nick, for, for what it's worth, since... The 2019 season where Shanky kicked 24 goals in 14 games. The Bulldogs have played he, 50. He was good in that. He was. that He was good in that year. Bulldogs played, have played 56 matches. Shanky's played in 14 of them. The longest stretch of games he's played consecutively is five. If you want to be really technical, it's six. But one of those was an unused medical sub, so I'm not counting that. So the five games that he played in a row, do you reckon you can tell me when they were? Let's have a look. When without looking, dropped? without looking. No, when, when did he when did he get dropped in 2020? When did he get dropped again? Round six. Okay, let's have a look. He when he played in that final. When did he play? How many games? Did he five. Five consecutive games played. Yeah, I'm going to go to the elimination final. So when the hell did he miss? He missed the he missed concussion, didn't he? So the elimination final of 2021 to round one of That's 2022. Right. He played all four finals and then he played round one the following year. He was medical sub in yeah. the round 23 match against Port. So that's why it's technical. That's six. right. That's when that's he played. Right. And, and when you know it, Nick, that stretch is when he played his best football. Indeed he did, as a defender for some He's a number two draft well. pick. He played very well. As a and he's being used as some sort of squad depth role player, which is unbelievable. I thought I just wanted to run. I just want to roll that number by you because I thought that was that was important. But I, I, I can't it's understand. Weird. I cannot no, understand why he's not been given more of an opportunity. Uh, who are the other goal kickers here? Garner, Johannesson, and Butler each kicked one. Crozier with twenty-eight disposals. Butler with twenty-five. Sullivan with twenty-two. Speaking of two, nineteen. Another one there with uh, with Crozier. Not saying he's back or by any means, but I happen to like our defenders being able to defend. It helps, okay. doesn't and it? too many times it does, but too many times um, we like to base a game of intercepting. You want an interceptor? Hello, there's Crozier. We can also play someone that can't intercept, and that, and as much as this is, even though he's played good football down back, um, just put Daniel higher up on the higher up on the right. field. Yep. Not because he can't play down back, and not because his best football doesn't come from the back line. It's because is he able to defend properly? No. That doesn't mean I'm talking about other teams exploiting him. I'm saying, is he actually able to properly defend? The answer is no. Dale, can he defend? Yes, he can. Can Williams defend? Yes, he can. Can Jure defend? Yes, he can. Can Richards defend? Yes, he can. Can Richards defend? You bet he can. This year especially. Hello, there is Crozier. Very good point. In that sense. Uh, Let's get some questions here. A bit of midlife crisis theme this week uh, with a couple of the questions. Uh, Here's one that you were really interested in uh, from Cam Duncan. This may be the first time he sent you a question. Welcome. Welcome to the forum, Cam. Uh, Luke Beveridge has delivered us two grand final appearances and one flag in a seven-year period. So why do I feel so glass half empty? Am I greedy? The inconsistency is so depressing. What effect would this be having on the playing group? And are we at risk of some key players jumping ship? So there's a, there's a lot of questions in that. 
I Look, think it's a very the, valid question or three or two, however many it was. It's, in terms it's of the, am I greedy? Point. No, that, that I'm going to allay your fears here, uh, Cam. Yeah. And yes. I'm going to say, you, you'll, no. you'll do this, that. And I will ramble as well. This is the, th- this is how as fans, we should be feeling. If, if you want to look at some of our, some of our greatest teams, I feel the problem in the past when it comes to Bulldog, not a problem, but I think something that that has definitely been something that's happened with Bulldog fans in the past is that we've been too quick to accept the occasional sort of rise. I mean, you think, think about some of the best teams that we've had. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind often is the 1985 side. And everyone goes, oh, what a great team that was. And it was a great team. It made a preliminary final. It came within a whisker of making a grand final. And there's arguments to this day about potentially and the, 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 potentially and the rest of it this, is, man. yeah, the key word yeah. is and. Yeah, and what happened after that? Well, they didn't make finals for another seven years. And it was their first exactly. finals appearance in 23 years, years. Uh, not 23 years, sorry, not 23 nine years. years. Um, nine years, but before so only one. What's that? That was our only uh, finals win between. So a great side with one oh, finals God, campaign in 16 years. We had even one our, successful finals campaign in 29 years. And even our oh 54 side, even our side in 1954, you want to talk about what a, what a great team that was. Well, they didn't make finals the following year. They made a prelim the year after. Uh, then they didn't make the finals again until 61. And then they didn't win a final for another 24 years after that. Yep. And then, and then of course, there was the roller coaster of the 1940s where it was make the finals, lose, fall away next year, make the finals, lose, fall away next year. I, I think for too long, we've been a bit too accepting of, of mm. you know, just yeah. being there once and it being good enough. Or getting close and saying, I'll, I'll oh, touch on it now. That's all I'll right. touch on it here too. Yeah, go, ahead, got, go ahead. I've had no, no, but I've had, I keep reading many fans saying, yep, we've made four finals series in the past six years. Yes, we've also been knocked out in the first week of finals in three of those years. Yeah. Okay. That's not good enough. It's for the fact of saying, and it probably going to lose, you know, goes to the next question from uh, Mitch Wind, you know, rhymes of sins or something along those yes, lines there, yes. where they mentioned, Wind. are we underachieving or are we overachieving? Those questions tie in with each other by my books because the fact is that we've barely achieved anything since the flag for a side that really should be pushing minimum to the second week of finals at least. You know, whether that means we go down from a qualifying final to a semi, but the minimum we should be at least featuring the second week of finals each and every single year, bare yeah. minimum. Is because it's a good enough size to is, do that. Yeah, yeah it, it's nothing short of an absolute waste. You fancy yeah. looking at these players here and you look at these guys and say, everyone's talking about, you know, they're still trying to sort these things out. They've had seven years to sort it out. You fancy looking at this team and say, how has it only been able to do something of genuine note that is, you know, compatible to what this side is capable of in only one year since the flag? Yeah. 2017, I let it slide because, well, I blame the players in that sense more so. Well, than I, the I think I think I I don't know about you. I was probably a bit <laughs> a bit guilty of well, we finally got there. Isn't this great? Who cares what yeah. happens afterwards? Oh, I I wasn't like that, but I was still I was pretty pissed. I tell you, after round four, even though we beat the Roos in the in the inaugural Good Friday game, mm-hmm. but because ultimately then the gear just became such a, a pain. But we again we fought it back, and then when the whips were cracking, we you know. Lost it again. But 
that year I let it slide. 2018 that was a whole another kettle of fish with a whole bunch of players missing and injuries and what whatnot. Okay, that year, okay. 2019, yeah, that one it was the first of the wasted years. Okay, that doesn't mean we're going to win a flag, but the point is we were a lot better than a elimination final side. Yeah. But what happened? Got knocked out. 2020. 2020, we were same a thing. Lot better exact than same elimination thing. final side. What happened? Got knocked out. Last year, these things seem to, you know, have been removed. That doubt. And yet, it still almost fell away and almost came to a crashing halt until, you know, rage and frustration came back to the side and then they, you know, got it back. You shouldn't need to rely on those things to motivate you. That's what I find very strange about the idea with Beveridge too. The fact that he feels like he needs to constantly need to motivate the players. If you need to constantly keep motivating the players, well, including the motivation originally is, is being burnt out too quickly. Why? Yeah. This is where it comes down to structures inside of things. Do the things that needs to be done. You don't need to rely on constantly needing to pick the players up because it means if they can get that easily up and down, then it's it's symmetrical with their performances that are up and down each week. Speaking of structure, one here from Grant. Why at the six-minute mark with the game, well, I should be missed with six minutes to go, with the game still in the balance, 13 points, it was Bukakamas in the ruck at the center bounce. They got the clearance and kick a goal, the game is over. So I think that was the... Uh, that was the Cameron one, Cameron Cameron six, I think it was. He said, I know English needs a rest, but then was not the time to do it. Well, this is, this comes back to that issue of structure. So if English has got to have a break, fair enough. But when someone else is coming into the ruck to replace him, you want them to be a competent enough ruckman. You're not going to get a, You're not going to be able to turn the bench and find an All-Australian calibre. You really are. But you need someone in there who can hold their own in the ruck to make sure that the clearance is not so easy. Now, I love Karmas, but he's not a backup ruckman. And to be, no, if I'm being no, honest, no. and if I'm being really honest here, if I'm being truly honest, Shaggy is not a backup ruckman either, but I think he's more likely to be used as one than Jordan Sweet. Now, someone on, on Twitter said that, you know, people thought it was a bit, un, didn't understand why people were complaining about, you know, Jordan Sweet getting dropped and all that because Tim English is a star and he's going to be the best ruckman in the, in the competition by this time next year. And he may well be right on that front. But the thing is, and, and something that I, I noted as well, it's that if you look at some of the best ruckmen recently in the game, Gorn, Grundy, Nananui, just as an example, they were all the best rucks going around, but they all had some form of backup. I think for, for Grundy, it would have been Mason Cox at times. For Melbourne, it would have been, well, it's Luke Jackson now, and I think Cam Pedersen at one point. And uh, West Coast had Nathan Vardy in the premiership. Uh, and they but had, even more, um, even more and Oscar Allen recently. In his early, in his early years, Early Cox. seasons, they still balance out with Dean Cox. And yeah. Dean Cox, as good as a ruckman he was, they still allowed Nat Nui to properly develop. And what do they and, do with Dean Cox? And they, they allowed him to have a rest. Back. Yeah. Allowed him to have a rest. Now, and the top now, six teams in the competition, mm. they've all they've all got two rucks. And and the, the argument that I was given in return was that, oh, well, but you know, they're, they're not that good. But the, the, or whoever we've got in the reserves is not good enough, which A, I think is harsh. And, and, and B is, is not really, I think, the strongest sort of argument because you very rarely pick your best 22 talented players. Like, right, is Ryan Gardner in the top 22 most talented Bulldogs on the list? No, probably not. There'll be players in the VFL that are better than him, but we need him because we're short on defenders in the back line. Is Anthony Scott now most 22 talented players? No, but do, does he play? Yes, because we need a player like him. So you're not. So is, is Jordan Sweet in our most 22 talented players? No, but we need a second ruckman. 
So that that's why I, I would pick him. So mm. I think the whole it's, look. Let's be honest. I don't know if Cam Pedersen was the best ruckman we've ever seen play the game, but he was a required player. Mm. So he let's won. go back to the numbers quickly here. Uh, 57 ruck contests for English, 17 hitouts, three to advantage, which coming up against, you know, not makeshift rucks, but those rucks that I would have expected him to at least, you know, get on top of in Blitzarves. And, and uh, Ray Stanley, that was pretty disappointing to see him get, you know, handed down to it. Uh, we've got Karma's 13 ruck contests, two hitouts and two to advantage, actually. So he made the most of those two. Um, and seven... Hit outs to advantage for the dogs in comparison to 12 for Geelong. Now, without much form to midfield, that really isn't good enough, regardless, and from English and from all of them. I found this interesting here, though English versus Stanley. And yet, that would have been the main ruck drill in the night. Had 40 contests there. 13 hit outs to 19, two of those to advantage to six, 14 clearances we were able to register compared to 18. And yet, we were outscored four goals to one. The only other goal we would have scored would have come from, because it didn't come from any of English's other contests against, say, Blitzarves. The other goal didn't come from Karmas, or in terms of his contests that he competed, but you're not going to see too many. It would have had to have come from either one of Norton's or Bontempelli's. But the point is, how are we only able to have only scored one goal from when English was rucking in that point there? Because English is still a tall midfielder that's become a better tall midfielder, not a better tap ruckman. It's my contention. Perhaps. Perhaps. They had three centre bounce attendances for Karmas, 23 for English there. So we still won the clearances in that sense, but I don't know. It's just, it's just all over the place with that. Um, what else can we mention quickly here? Maybe just one let's final. Maybe one. let's just get this this one out the way from a regular. Dr. Oh, Seuss. God, here we go. Oh, this, is a, this is a bad stat, though. Defensive 50 oh, marks, okay. 21 for us, 37 to draw. Way to give them, uh, give them the ball back. Yep. Well, it's a regular problem for us, isn't it? One from the final one from Dr. Susie. Are we the most underperforming team in the AFL? Nick, can you answer that in a word? In terms of what we believe we should deliver, yes. In terms of what we have delivered over the last five or six years, the answer is unfortunately no. No. And that again goes up back with, with Mitch Wynn's question there. And are we an underperforming side or an overperforming side? Unfortunately, I'm thinking at this point in time, we're a team. As of last year, that has overperformed. Now, are we capable of re- you know rejigging that? You betcha. But the point is, things that have to happen now, and I mean genuinely, literally, right after this uh, episode finishes, <laughs> because it just isn't good enough, and we're going to have seasons frittered away. Much like 2019 was a massive wasted opportunity. And 2020, people will say yes, COVID and interstate games, and you know who cares. But everyone had it to doesn't do matter. It's everyone had to do that. Okay, it was not good enough because it was another wasted season where the side should have been, you know, playing some serious September football, or in that case October or whatever it was in 2020. You cannot afford to see the careers, and even though there's still plenty of years left, you cannot afford to see the likes of Bontempelli and McRae finish up with only one flag. And on that note, I think that's going to. Sail us through to the end of another episode of the Salty Bull. Just a final couple of housekeeping ones because a couple of people asked about uh, contracts and players and recruitment and stuff. I think Daniel and English have been reported by Mitch Cleary. They're close to, sorry, did I say English and Daniel? Yep. Yes, uh, close to signing on. No talks yet with Josh Dunkley. So watch mm. this space and my fears are starting Bailey to Bailey Smith is pretty much waiting for a contract to be 
handed to him before he signs on. So he's pretty much safe as houses. And our current membership tally, according to the Bulldogs website, is 49,121. Now, I would normally say that uh, we're... Uh, was that 879 short of 50,000, but some people might see that as me being a bit too negative. And I try to avoid doing that where possible. So that's going to be that. That's everything. That's all that out of the way. A massive episode with just so much to talk to. And Aaron Norton Ford back. It's just a debate that will rage on forever, I think. Uh, not that I try to instigate it, but that's just my opinion. The Salty Bulldog Podcast is available to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Footy Live app via Sportsmate. Otherwise, I'd recommend, um, and I'm sure Nick would recommend the, the same methods of searching. There's our social media channels as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Do keep an eye out for some stuff uh, over the buy rounds. There, there is another Best 22 edition that I'm trying to formulate. Um, I'll pitch this one to you quickly, Nick. The one number addition. So you can only have one club number. So for instance, you could have uh, you can have Charlie Sutton if you want, but it means you can't have Brad Johnson. I like so that. All right, beautiful. I like that. That keep is a, a very, very tricky one. Keep an eye out for that on the website, www.thesaltybullog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nick, I'm going to let you go. Rest up. You too, Matt. Always a pleasure. Good fun. Everyone, enjoy your Bible. Keep you posted if there's an episode coming up during the, the Bible work that as we go along. We love having your company. We love having your questions. We look forward to having you join us again by the next week or the week after. But until then, take care.